Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we'll continue our study in Mark by focusing on chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. You may remember from last week, if you joined us, that Jesus asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they had various responses. Then he asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And what a contrast we see today. Peter then, who Jesus used mightily as one of his most faithful and effective disciples, whose human failures are often portrayed in Scripture, gave an A-plus answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus gave him zero personal credit for the A-plus response. Then almost immediately, Peter gives another response to another statement of Jesus. And this time, Jesus gives it an F. And if you're thinking that, of course, a fair teacher who doesn't give credit for an A-plus response will most certainly not give credit for an F response, you're going to be disappointed. Jesus gave him full credit for this one, and he also gave credit to another. Pastor Jim will unravel the confusion for you as you listen to today's slice of the message entitled, How the Flesh Does Religion. Well, come with me to Mark um, chapter 7 as we re-enter our studies through the book of Mark. You know, because of the the laws of physics and chemistry which determine why ice floats in water, uh, the fact is that you can only see about one-tenth of an iceberg from the surface of the ocean. The rest is submerged, so you can actually collide with the iceberg below water level before you hit what you can see. Now, that is a science lesson of titanic proportions. (laughs) And what does it have to do with our text today? Well, directly, nothing. Not one single iceberg around the Sea of Galilee. But there is an analogy. What you can see in our text this morning, uh, above the waterline, if you will, in this text, is only a fraction of the actual issues involved. But what shows is a clue to help us understand the iceberg in the life of Jesus. The theological iceberg that he rammed is the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes. And what you're going to learn today and then next week in the ensuing paragraph will be useful for helping you decide how to apply God's Word in your personal life in the, in the right kind of way. This is a sermon on its own, but it goes hand in hand with the next 10 verses. So please don't, don't miss church next Sunday when we're going to study that. You see, if, if you live by convictions, because of your convictions, you will eventually offend someone. The ultimate question is, will the convictions that you live by 
cause you to offend men or God? It's going to be one of those two. Now, the self-righteous ones were so blinded by their convictions, which were man-made rules of spirituality, that they actually overruled God's Word. They actually hated their Savior. So check your own heart, because we are all susceptible to letting pockets of legalism develop in our lives, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Here's where we're going as we think about what I've titled, How the Flesh Does Religion. You understand there are only two kinds of religion in the world. There are only two religions in the world. Our friend Mike Riddle describes them as do and done. Christianity is done. Jesus said, it is finished. It is our redemption based upon His accomplishment. All the other religions of the world are a matter of do. Do this, do that, keep doing this, do it harder, do it better, do it longer, keep doing it. And God will eventually like you a little bit better. That's the idea. So, that's how the flesh, the fallen nature of man, does religion. So, here's where we're going to go, verses 1 through 13 in Mark chapter Seven, and we'll be gaining momentum as we go. But you're going to meet, number one, those who love to be offended, verses 1 and 2. Then you're going to see a legalism case study, verses 3 and 4. You're going to see self-righteous talk in verse 5. Then you're going to see an example of the root of legalism in verses 6 through 8. And then with sarcasm fully intended, Finally, how to dodge inconvenient commands, verses 9 through 13. Start out by meeting those who love to be offended. Mark 7, 1 and 2. Notice this. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem. Keep that in mind. And they had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. Now, you already know the Pharisees. You've met the Pharisees. They were the de facto spiritual leaders in Israel because they had the most impact on the most people most often through the synagogues. This confrontation with them along with many, many others. But this one is included by both Matthew and Mark because it helps to introduce you to the iceberg of their teachings. And notice that in this case, the confrontation included the Pharisees and some of their scribes. Now, if you have the New International Version, you're getting gypped by a watered-down translation of scribes, uh, calling them teachers of the law. The Pharisees were also teachers of the law, but the, so the, the term scribe is a, an important one and a precise one. What it means is that the scribes were the scholars. So these were the everyday teachers, the kinds of ones you would hear in the synagogue and the ones who would be training your, uh, your children, but they brought along the scholars, the ones who knew and taught all the details of this ever-growing mass of rules and regulations about what people need to do. 
The scribes were the ones who made up the things which had turned Judaism into a works, righteousness, false religion. Such a corruption of what God had intended. Now notice what else Mark Mark includes. This group had come from Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus now had been ministering in Galilee for uh, a year and a half. This is, this is near the end of his, of his time there. And the Pharisees in Galilee had had so many confrontations with him, and they had lost every single argument. They'd been humiliated every single time. They'd been rebuked countless times. So apparently, they sent a message to Jerusalem calling for backup. They requested the the theological heavyweights to come and help them deal with Jesus. It's like the local sheriff calling in the FBI because they stumbled onto the, the case that is so big. These guys traveled on foot about 75 miles, and, and they added to the trip, by the way, because in their self-righteousness, they, they were too spiritual to set foot on Samaritan soil, so they, they could have saved a lot of, uh, of time, but they would leave Jerusalem, go east, cross the Jordan River, go up the east side of the Jordan, cross the Jordan River again to get to Galilee just to be self-righteous about where they didn't want to walk. And they had gone all that way, all that trouble, specifically to pick a public fight with Jesus. That's what they were there for. The Pharisees in Galilee called in the big guns from the home office to deal with Jesus up there in Galilee. Now, it's not a bad thing that they came. That in itself is a good idea. There were There were a lot of questions that they should have asked, could have asked, that would have been very helpful. I mean, if they they wanted to know the truth, they might have said something to Jesus like, do you really claim to be the Messiah? They could have said, we've heard you claim to be God. Is that true? Please explain that. Or show us the scriptures that validate your claims. It would have been very reasonable and logical for them to say, how are you connected with John the baptizer? Um, Please explain to us what it is that you've been preaching. But they didn't come to seek truth. Instead of questions that could help them know the truth, you're going to see the tip of the theological iceberg in what they actually zeroed in on it. This horrible crime that they decided was worthy of a public confrontation is some of your disciples are eating with their bread with impure hands. That is unwashed. Their actual question, we'll get to it in a minute, it's in verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now look, I hope before you have lunch today, you wash your hands. If I come to your house for dinner, I hope you wash your hands, I hope you wash your plates and, and, and all of that, and I hope it's not a four-legged dishwasher that, that does most of the, of the work for you. They're only good for pre-wash, okay? This was a question about a ritual rinsing of the hands. It was totally made up out of nowhere 
by these rabbis and scribes. It was handed down by oral tradition. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.